This morning, I'm going to ask you to turn in two places in Scripture, if you would. Our main text is going to be in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. And then here in just a little bit after we pray, we're going to look in Jeremiah chapter number 2. So in Matthew chapter number 5 is where we'll start with and continue our study. And, but then we'll also refer back to Jeremiah chapter number 2. And I know I like to joke and talk about the weather, but man, it was like, wasn't it nice at 5 o'clock last night to be, or yesterday afternoon to be about 70 degrees to only wake up this morning knowing that it's not only cold, but it's going to be like 25 tomorrow morning. And so, and that, by the way, that's a great thing about being a pastor. You only work like a couple hours a week. So tomorrow morning, wait, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Man, I'm feeling the, I'm feeling everybody a little chilly today. All right, good. I'm just kidding. But I do want to share this uh, uh, with you. It's, uh, it says, it was very thoughtful of you and thank you for your divine help. This is from a lady, Miss Rachel Schock. Uh, actually a widow lady, uh, our church had the opportunity to be a blessing to her and helping her put uh, the labor as far as putting a roof on her house. And, and I, you know, I think the church needs to be the ministry of not just financially, but the hands and feet. And uh, we had the opportunity not long ago to do that. And we're looking forward to more opportunities to show the love of Christ outside of this building, right? To be have an opportunity to be a blessing. We had an opportunity to be a blessing to her. And as somebody that we don't really know, but I tell you, you if we limit our blessings, the only people we know, we're going to miss out on a blessing, I think, in that. But uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 5. And uh, before we get into that, uh, we have been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the third message on the Sermon on the Mount. And I've really enjoyed looking at these Beatitudes, these uh, first uh, several verses, these first 12 verses. I believe there's eight Beatitudes that are mentioned here. Even though you see blessed are or blessed ye several times, I believe there's really eight altogether that it's talking about to a group of people. And I'd like for us to read in Matthew chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 1. Now remember, this is Jesus' message. And it says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he, being Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, or when he sat down, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to call your attention to verse number 6. And we don't always do this, but I'd like for you to, to read aloud with me verse number 6. It's going to be our text today. So if you would, read aloud with me, all right? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you this morning. Thank you for being a holy God. And Lord, as we look at ourselves, a lot of times, Lord, we realize just how holy you are and how unholy I am. But Lord, you still invite me to come. You still invite me to bring my prayer. Lord, you still invite me to give my petitions, those things that weigh dear on my heart. And Lord, just for a few moments this morning, we want to worship you. Lord, may we not just look at things without stopping and thanking and worshiping you, Lord, for all that you've done. Lord, the things that we think of every day, and Lord, forgive us for the things we don't thank you for that we just forget about. 
And Lord, I pray you would just take your word this morning. Lord, as we continue to look at this passage, Lord, feed us from your table. Lord, I know there's people here today that have a lot of things that's going on in their lives. Lord, those that need encouragement today, Lord, I pray you might, through your Holy Spirit, encourage them. Lord, for those that are searching and needing some answers and needing some guidance, I pray, Lord, that you might just show them and lead them in a plain path. May we all have our eyes open that we might behold wondrous things out of that law. Lord, I ask for my own heart as well, Lord, if conviction needs to be brought, Lord, that through your love of the Holy Spirit, you would show me what needs to be and not be in my life. And Lord, I pray you might protect this time. Lord, I pray that Satan would not steal the seed of your word that you desire to bear fruit in our life. But Lord, it might do exactly what you desire for it to do. It wouldn't be in vain. Lord, I thank you for those working with the children. Lord, I pray you bless them, be with them. Lord, speak to those children. Lord, what a blessing it is to watch these children, listen to these children sing. And Lord, thank you for the song that you gave them. And Lord, I pray again that you would speak through your word. Thank you for being the God that's more than enough. In his name we pray. Amen. And we've been looking the last few weeks at this Sermon on the Mount. And Sermon on the Mount, by the way, is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's probably, in my opinion, it's the greatest message that's ever been preached. You say, Brother Phil, you didn't preach the greatest message ever? No, I never will. But Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher that ever lived, the greatest teacher that was ever on earth, preached the greatest message. And when he stopped, it says here he had a multitude of people following him. And he had a message for his disciples, but he wanted to bleed over, if you would, into those multitudes. And he starts with what we call the Beatitudes. And he starts with this mentality, or blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And we see eight of those, even though we see the word blessed about eight or nine times. And when we look at this, and as I mentioned last week, just as a reminder, is that Matthew being the first book of the New Testament, you have to understand that the Old Testament ended with Malachi, and the last word of Malachi is curse. So the Old Testament ends with a curse. God doesn't speak for 400 years. He doesn't speak in an audible voice. He doesn't send an angel. He doesn't send a prophet. He doesn't send a judge. He doesn't send a deliverer. No man, woman, anybody to speak what thus saith the Lord for 400 years. Jesus comes on the scene as we look at and as the coming Messiah in Matthew chapter number 1. And as he begins his ministry and what he's doing here, he stops and and does this Sermon on the Mount. And as I've mentioned before, and I think it's worthy to mention every single week, is this, is that the Sermon on the Mount describes a true Christian, but also deals with character. And can I tell you, as I said each week, character always comes before conduct. You say, well, they act good, but, you know, they may not do exactly what they should do, but they got the right heart. Well, that's contrary to Scripture. The Bible says if you have the right kind of integrity, the right kind of character, the right kind of heart, guess what will proceed out of the right kind of character and heart? The actions will, the conduct. Whenever a kid does something, you say, man, I don't know why they got so angry. I don't know why they did that right there. Well, it's because it's in their heart. It's in my heart. It's one of the things I do. And character always comes before conduct. And, and Jesus is trying to let the, the Pharisees know. The Pharisees said that, you know what, the only thing that's important is the righteousness or the works of the outward man and that the heart doesn't matter. But as we know in the book of 1 Samuel, it says that God looketh on the heart, even though man looketh on the outward appearance. And we see here in this study talking about the inside, the inside dwelling, the character of the Christian, if you would. And as we notice here in this, we call it simply the Beatitudes. 
The Beatitudes is a word that's not mentioned in Scripture, but the word Beatitudes, as we've defined the last several weeks, is this. The Beatitudes means perfect blessedness, or to be perfectly blessed. And as you know in Scripture, the word blessed means this, happy. So if we define these Beatitudes, these eight things in these 12 verses that it gives us, the Bible is saying, Jesus is telling us here, I'm going to tell you how you can be perfectly happy. As we've mentioned before, I think we have happiness a lot of times that might last for a moment. We have happiness for a time that may last for a day or after an event or maybe for a month. But to have that perfect happiness, that enduring happiness, that personality, that nature about you, that regardless of what comes and hits you in life, to be perfectly happy no matter what happens. I know we said a lot of times that our happiness is a lot of times based on what happens in our life. But Jesus is saying here to his disciples, there is a way. There is someone you can be to where you're perfectly happy regardless of what you face in your life. Someone said one time, I thought it was pretty good. It says, it's called the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. What I do is a lot of times who I be. What I am in my life, who I am, who I, who I am to be is who I will, the things I will do. And so we see this, and if you would, I'd like for you to hold your place there in Matthew and flip back to the passage I mentioned to you in Jeremiah. Because in Jeremiah, we're going to see one verse. And as you notice, the verse that we looked at in Matthew is Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6. says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting. And in Jeremiah chapter number 2, I like to read verse number 13. One verse. In this passage that God is using Jeremiah to speak to the children of Israel. He says in Jeremiah 2.13. God is speaking through uh, Jeremiah says. For my people have committed two evils or two sins. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters. And have hewned out cisterns. Broken cisterns. That can hold no water. He's telling them here. He's saying what has done the children of Israel. God's people have done something. They're thirsting, but what they're thirsting after they decided instead of going after God to be the source of their their thirst, to quench their thirst, to be their satisfaction, to be filled with, it says that they've hewn out their own cisterns and their broken cisterns that can hold no water. You don't have to turn there, but if you flip back just a few pages, you'll be in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55, and continue with this mentality of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Jeremiah says they've hewn out They've created their own cisterns that are broken that just can't hold water. But in Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 2 and 3, the Bible says this. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and ye labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me, hear and your soul shall live. We'll go back to Matthew 5 here in just a moment. But if you look at this passage, some things for us to understand here is this. Can I tell you this morning, I believe many of us here are like these passages we just read in the Old Testament. Your soul is hungry. Your heart is thirsty. You feel a longing in your mind, in your heart, in your soul for something. And you're restless. And But almost at every turn, if you ever feel like in life that life is always greener on the other side it doesn't matter your lifestyle doesn't matter your circumstances matter your job but you feel like in your sense you have this 
feeling that everywhere you turn, it's always greener. It's always better than where you're at. Someone always has it better. The circumstance is always better. And the tragedy is for some people that are believers is this. Even though that longing, that beckoning in your heart, that hunger, if you would, is God trying to call us into himself, to draw us into himself, a lot of us will turn away to very short-lived, very temporary, very what I like to call backfiring pleasures. The Bible does say there's pleasure in sin for a season. There is for a season. Those things that are temporal, and a lot of people today that are Christians, that thing in their life that only can be filled by God, it can only be filled by a life that's pleasing to God, the righteousness we're going to look at here in just a little bit. Man, we, we jump on temporal things, things that just don't last. And we grab at things, and we pray for things, and we try to grab possessions and these different things. And if you sometimes ever feel like everything you have in your hands turns to ashes sometimes, it's just not fulfilling. That thrill of lust leaves you with a feeling of guilt. Maybe it leaves you with a feeling of loneliness. I know some people that deal with drugs and alcohol and in their life, you know, a lot of times that drugs and that alcohol can't keep you from waking up the next morning still in the same messed up situation, the same messed up relationships that you were once in. A lot of us try to find joy and happiness in what? Buying things, buying a house, buying a car, buying possessions, buying the newest electronic device, buying the newest phone. And there's nothing wrong with having those things. But we buy these things and we go after these things with the idea we're thinking that's going to give me true joy and happiness. And it makes us happy for a little bit. And those things that we have, what happens? We become bored with them. How many of you remember the first cell phone you had? Okay, now I would ask this, but I know some of you, this may be true. How many of you have the same, still use the first cell phone you ever had? Hey, Miss Norma, all right, I like it. You're happy with what you got, ain't you, Miss Norma? Ain't no need to mess with happening, right? But a lot of times, what happens? I couldn't tell you how many cell phones I probably had. I couldn't tell you the different things where they're at. I remember Rachel and I got married in August of 99. I remember the apartment we lived in. And we got a flyer from Verizon in the mail. And we ordered our first cell phone that got delivered to us in the mail. That's some of y'all that are younger than I am are going, wow, that's ancient. You know, that's, that's, yeah. I remember getting that phone and pulling the extension up. I remember looking at the flat face and all those different things. Can I tell you that cell phone's probably, if it's not disintegrated, it's in some junk heap somewhere. You know why? Because it doesn't last. It's temporal. It's not eternal. And if we're not careful, and as we're going to see here, as he talks about in, in the book of Isaiah, and as he talks about in the book of Jeremiah, we go for things in life to give us joy and happiness that never can fill. We can dump in and dump in and dump in. And he's like, it's just like a pot that has a crack in it. No matter how much water you may fill up in there, it's constantly going out. I can't tell me people I've talked to in life that says, Brother Phil, I, I would be in church. I would do these things. But as soon as I, as soon as I get my life right and as soon as I get the amount of money I need and as soon as I get these different things, man, as soon as I get everything figured out, I'll be in church. I said, you know what's great about church? You come with nothing figured out and God leads you through his word and through other believers in life to help you realize that, one, you ain't ever going to have it figured out, all figured out. But two, allow God to put the pieces together. Because let me tell you, if you're trying to put it all together, why do you need God? If you've got to wait till everything makes sense, why do we need him? Why pray to him? If it's all got to be able to see it, why is there faith? 
Why does it all have to make sense? We don't need him then. And these things that we have a lot of times are broken cisterns, as he says, and these broken cisterns, and as he says in Isaiah, this bread that doesn't satisfy. And Jesus says back here in chapter 5, verse number 6, he talks about a hunger of the heart and a relentless thirst of the soul that can be met. That hungering, that thirsting, as he says, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. I know you probably can't believe this, but I only got two points today. Y'all are warming up eventually, man. All right. I'll get off. Okay, good. But I want us to look at two things today. Number one, I'll tell you what the points are. Number one, I want us to see, looking at this verse, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Number one, I want us to see, what is this righteousness? And then secondly, we're going to see this. How hungering and thirsting after righteousness can fill us. How hungering and thirsting after righteousness can fill us. But first, I want us to meditate for a little bit on this. Jesus says, blessed, perfectly, completely happy are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, what is this righteousness that it's talking about? You know what I find interesting here, and, and this may just be me. You ever sometimes overthink things? So sometimes I do that. But I notice some here. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after God. Wouldn't that make sense? Longer and thirst after God. And I think Jesus, and this is just a little philology, but I think it could probably fit here. As a believer, sometimes doesn't it feel like trying to be like God is an impossible task? I'm not going to be holy as long as I live in this flesh. I'm going to sin every day, and I'm going to repent of it, and then sometimes I'm not going to repent of it. But he doesn't say hunger and thirst after God. He says hunger and thirst after righteousness because sometimes in our minds and hearts, being like Christ is an impossible goal. But as we talk about, and we love to say around here, what is the Christian life? It's not about perfection, but it is about the direction which you're heading. And he says here to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Last week, we looked at the meaning of meekness, and I tell you, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed looking at what the Bible meant when it says in verse number five, blessed are the meek. And we kind of cross-reference with a Psalm 37. And Psalm 37, 11 is almost exactly like Matthew 5, 5, when he talks about meekness. By the way, I know if, if you were here or weren't here, that's the only time in the Sermon on the Mount you see the word meek. The only time. Jesus repeats himself a lot of times in Scripture, especially in the Sermon on the It's the only time you ever read on meekness. And we talked about that, about what the Bible means to be meek and, and means to wait on God and to trust in God. It doesn't mean just to be quiet. It means to wait on God, but also means in the sense of being meek is, is the idea of a punching bag. And, and you say, what do you mean? It's that in life you're going to get hit by things. But what does a punching bag do when it gets hit? It absorbs but a lot of us don't want to be the punching bag. We want to be the, the nice ceramic vase. And when something hits it, what does it do? It cracks, it destroys it, it breaks it to nothing. And that's what happens in our life. That's why we don't have happiness. Because the littlest thing cracks us and hurts us and kills us. And destroys our world. And so meekness is only mentioned one time. But today's beatitude that we're looking at, you don't see a quote from the Old Testament. It talks about righteousness and and can I tell you, the word righteousness doesn't occur again. It's not a quote directly from the Old Testament, but it does occur four times. You'll see the word righteous in four different verses. The word there is five times, but it actually occurs in four different verses. 
And you see it in Matthew 5, 6, also later in verse 10, later in verse 20, and in chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what we're looking at today. And so for us to catch on what Jesus means by righteousness, hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Well, that's great. What is righteousness? What is it? I think we can look at what other places in Scripture where Jesus uses righteousness and other places in this sermon. Now, for sake of time, we're only going to look at one of them. We're not going to look at all, all of them. But I want us to see one about what is the best definition about what it is about righteousness. It's found in verse 10. We read it earlier. What does it say in verse number 10? It says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, he talks about being persecuted for righteousness. And, and, and give, me, give me a moment here as I kind of set the table because I believe this is very important. And you see the structure of the Beatitudes. To understand righteousness, to understand what it means in verse number 10 about persecuted for righteousness sake, I think we have to understand the structure of the Beatitudes. As I mentioned, there's eight of them. There's eight particular Beatitudes that are, that are listed here. Uh, and when it mentions verse number 10, that last beatitude, can I tell you, verse number 11 is just kind of given an expansion of it. But that first beatitude that we read in verse number 3 that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, look, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The end of verse 3 and the end of verse 10 are the exact same. He says in the end of verse number 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. End of verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see that again. Here's why. We haven't looked at it yet, but the, the eight Beatitudes are really in four different, two groups of four. We've looked at the first four. We're looking at the fourth one today in the first group. And they're in two groups of four, if you look at it here. This first group, if you see here, it talks about in verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse four, blessed are they that mourn. Verse five, blessed are the meek. And verse number six, blessed are they hunger and thirst after righteousness when we see it. This first group ends with it, with what it says here. And that second group of four ends with the same thing. And you say, Brother Phil, what do you mean? I don't really understand. If you look closely at the first four Beatitudes, that first group, what is the common thing here? Emptiness. Longing. There's an emptiness there. There's a longing that is mentioned here. If you, if you ponder it, the more significant it becomes. Leading up to hungering after righteousness, it starts off with the description of emptiness. It starts off with being what? Poor in spirit, being poverty stricken in spirit. It talked about mourning as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. That mourning there means mourning over our sin and mourning over what's wrong. It's not just talking about being upset about what happens, but mourning over your sin. But it also talks about meekness, and meekness is accepting criticism without retaliation. Boy, that'd be a fun way to live, wouldn't it? To say everything that happened in your life, the criticism, the things in your life, to be meek, to not retaliate, or to be defensive. Can I tell you, these characteristics, these beatitudes, if you would, that he's talking about, these are not characteristics of something that's overflowing or something that is full. These are all characteristics of what? These first three are what? Empty and longing. And they're beautiful and they're proper in their place. But they're not yet the richness. They're not full. And by the way, it, it is, isn't it not natural that, that the Lord would say, after he's telling us, be empty of self, be, be poor in spirit. He's telling us to be meek, to mourn, that he would follow it up with this. Hunger. Now that you're empty, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can I tell you, a lot of us never hunger and thirst after righteousness because we never get empty. 
never get empty of self, never get empty of the things in life that we think matter so much that later on don't, aren't a big deal at all. But it's all about being empty, being empty, being empty. And now he says, now that you're empty, now that you're meek, now that you're poor in spirit, now that you mourn for your sin and, and those things in your life that are not right, now he says these words, hunger and thirst after righteousness. You ever sometimes say to yourself, man, I love to help somebody. I love to help somebody out that's, that's going the wrong way. I love to help somebody get their life back on track. But can I tell you, until they realize their life is not on track, is off track, you're never going to be able to help them. People that are fine in their sin or fine in the way they're going, you're never going to be able to help them the way they need to be helped until they realize that they're in the wrong. They realize that the way that they're going is wrong. The way they're going is not pleasing to God. The way that they're doing is destructive. Until they personally realize that, if you're not, if you're not careful, you're not helping them, you're enabling them. And there's a difference, by the way, in helping somebody, enabling somebody. And Jesus, I really believe here, leads up in the structure of the two groups of the Beatitudes when he tells them this. He said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's saying, for those that are empty of self. Those that are empty and they long for this. For those that recognize their poor in spirit, their emptiness, that grieve. Those that don't try to justify themselves. Now it does mention over in the other part, righteousness that we're looking at here. In verse number 10. Blessed are they which, which they are persecuted for righteousness sake. When you see that second set of four that we'll start getting into next week, you look at those next three Beatitudes, that you find something. You find after a hunger and a satisfaction comes in verse number six, what does he tell you to do when you're, when you're full? What does he tell you to do verse six? He says, be merciful. You ever sometimes look and say, I've got no more patience for that person. I am out. I have no more mercy. I have no more of this. I have no more of that. You know why? Because you're empty. And you have to fill yourself with what? Or allow God to fill you with that meekness again. God, fill me again. Lord, fill me again with these things. Lord, empty me of self so that you can fill me. And after that hunger and satisfaction comes in this, he says, be merciful. He said, be someone that's overflowing with mercy. He only says that. He says, don't just be meek. He says, be someone now that overflows in mercy. In verse number eight, he says, not only that, be pure in heart. In verse number 9, he says, don't just be peaceful, but be a peacemaker. Don't just be peaceful, be a peacemaker. Someone that strives to, to make peace. And this second group of Beatitudes ends with that same reference to righteousness. He says, only after you have empty of self, only after you have filled yourself with righteousness, that you know what, that you were lacking, only after you were filled, will you be able to do, as it says in verse 10, be persecuted for righteousness sake. Say, what do you mean, Brother Phil? Can I tell you, you won't endure persecution for righteousness if you're not poor in spirit. You will not endure persecution for righteousness sake if you're not meek. You won't endure if you don't mourn over your faults. You know what you'll do? You do what I do a lot. When you start getting persecuted, you know what's right. You know what you do? You defend yourself and you blow up. You blow up on people. You blow up on things. And if you're like me, sadly enough, I blow up on those people that they had no right for me to blow up on them. They just happened to be the last person that pricked the balloon. And we won't endure it. And so do you see this definition, if you would, of what is righteousness? 
The first four Beatitudes that we're looking at are about being broken and being grieving and hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And these next four describes being merciful, being pure, being a peacemaker, because you're going to be persecuted for righteousness. The Bible says, yea, and all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you're going to suffer it, Jesus says, let's get you empty. Let's get you hungering after the right things, and then I can help you how to deal with that persecution, those trials in your life. And I hope I'm not too confusing, but hopefully I think you see there what Jesus is talking about. This is what righteousness is. Because if you're like me, when you read the word righteousness, what do you think? Good works. Just doing good stuff. And Jesus said it's a whole lot deeper than that. Once again, it's not all about the outward. It's about the heart. It's about the character that affects the conduct in this. And when we're empty and we get persecuted for righteousness sake, but if we've been filled, I'll, I'll respond in a proper way. And that righteousness can be defined as mercy, pure in heart, and peacemaking. So number one, we see this, what is this righteousness? Number two, I want us to see this this morning. I want us to see how hungering and thirsting after righteousness can fill us. You see in Scripture back it says in the passage, what does it say? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. How can, or how hungering and thirsting after righteousness can fill us? Remember, the Beatitudes, perfect happiness, doesn't come, by the way, of just being hungry. Perfect happiness doesn't just come by being thirsty. It comes by hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting after the right thing. I think the problem today with a lot of us as Christians, and I say us, and I want you to know I'm preaching to myself every moment that I'm talking with you. I think the problem with the average Christian today is that we crave and hunger after the wrong stuff. Oh, Brother Phil, I I hunger and thirst after righteousness. Yeah, but if someone doesn't give you attention at work, you get all upset. Someone doesn't say thank you for something that you do for them. Boy, you're more disjointed than you could ever imagine being. Things don't go your way. Do the things you want happen the way you want to be. Everyone don't act the way you want to be. Oh, no, no. You careful. The way you live, the way your heart reacts, a lot of times it really shows what you hunger for, what you thirst for. I had someone say this. I thought it was pretty good. It says, what comes out of our life is a product of what I put in my life. What comes out of my life, a lot of times a product of what I put in my life. Be careful what you hunger for and thirst for that does not satisfy, that doesn't please God, because be careful my actions and the things that come out of me are going to be the same. And that's why today our Christian service and our, our productivity today is so shameful and it's so shallow. You know why? Because I keep depositing in myself, and we all as believers keep depositing in ourselves things that aren't good for us and draw us away from what we've been looking at the very first week, helpless dependence upon Christ. I tell you, the goal of every believer should be this, to live your life in such a way that you are totally and completely helplessly dependent upon Christ. The way you lived your life this week as a believer, the decisions you made, the things that you did, the way you responded, you maybe didn't respond, maybe the way you acted. Did it show that you're living a life I'm totally helplessly dependent upon Christ? Because I tell you, when I don't live with helpless dependence upon Christ, I say things I shouldn't say. I think things I shouldn't think. 
I do things I shouldn't do. I allow things to fester and form over in my heart that have no business festering. But helpless dependence upon Christ. Why is it that we reject that mentality, by the way? Why is it that we reject helpless dependence upon Christ? Because I'm not in charge anymore. You ask the average young person, what do they want to do? Get up, get out of high school, and be in charge. Have a job, make money, do all that. I reminded uh, someone the other day, I said, hey, you know what? You're going to have all your life to work. (laughs) All your life to pay bills. This is not always what it's cracked up to be. Just because I'm walking around with a wallet don't mean I'm still the same walking around with the bills, too. It's not always what it's cracked up to be. Be careful what you hunger and thirst for. You know why? Because you want that independence, and I remember being that way. I remember when I went off to college, man, I was super pumped, man. I was, I was pumped up, me and my friend, John Jones. We were driving together. My parents were falling behind us. We were driving from Murfreesboro to Powell, Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville there. And so we were going. We are super pumped, man. We're going to Bible college. We're, going, man, we're ready to attack hell with a water pistol, man. We're ready to go. And I remember when we pulled up, went down Beaver Creek Road. And I turned and I followed that sign. It said, welcome college students. I was like, oh, is it too late to pull a Yui? And I remember we unloaded our stuff and my parents took me to Cracker Barrel. And as I joke, they, they call it the Last Supper. You know, they took me to Cracker Barrel. And they drove three hours home. And I found out real quick what helpless dependence upon Christ did. And I had it all figured out. I've been looking forward to this for, I'll be honest with you, for a couple years. I was super pumped. Man. I was ready to go get me out. I'm ready. I found out real quick. It ain't always cool to not have somebody saying, get up. Make your bed. Do all this stuff. You know, that was way good because I got to bear it. So you get in trouble. You do all these kind of things. I found out that at lunchtime and at dinner time, there wasn't a, the table in front of me. It wasn't sitting there in front of me. It wasn't, that, that wasn't happening. That can of spaghetti was under my bed, still needed me to crack the can, put it in there, nuke it in the microwave, and pull out a Mountain Dew. Man, I lived a lot of my college years off SpaghettiOs and meatballs and Pop-Tarts. I tell you right now, if I never eat another Pop-Tart, brown sugar and cinnamon Pop-Tart, and SpaghettiOs and meatballs, if I never eat another, thank you, Lord, never, ever again. But you know what? I thought in the moments leading up to it, yeah, I'm in charge. I had good intentions. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't saying I can't wait to get on my own. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I just want to be in charge, and, and I'm going to do all. I'm going to just sow my wild oats. No, I wasn't that way. But God it kind of has a neat way of saying, who are you depending on now? Mama's gone. Daddy's gone. I live in a day where we actually have what we call pay phones, calling cards. You called, and it was like 59 cents a minute. I found out real quick, my parents don't like talking to me. <laughs> and you know, I just tell you, in your life and my life, we live our lives a lot of times because we're the man of the house, or we're an adult woman, or we have our jobs, or whatever, whatever it is. We're not careful. We live not helplessly dependent upon Christ because that fights against our nature. My nature wants to be the same. 
My nature wants to be in charge. My nature says, I want to make my own way. And when you think about it and we look at this, I need to understand something. That the closer I get to totally and helplessly dependent upon Christ, the more perfectly happy I will be in my life. Because if he's in charge and I'm living like he's in charge, when the stuff happens I'm not ready for, hey, he's still in charge. He's the one taking care of it. But when I'm in charge and it happens, what am I trying to do? I'm worrying. I'm fretting. I'm afraid. I'm frustrated. I'm anxious. And whatever else you want to throw in there that you're feeling today. And if all these Beatitudes, and I know I've said a couple weeks, if you can get to the point of this, get over yourself. And be helplessly dependent upon Christ. You will be perfectly blessed. Perfectly happy. Let me ask you this morning. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness. What does your life reflect? What I mean is this. Don't tell me in this room. You don't want to hear me tell you in this room. Man I hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. You want to see my life out there. You want to see what it reflects. That's what you want to see. That's what it wants to be. And I ask you this morning, what are you hungering for? What is that thing that you're striving after? That thing that you're thirsting for? It's like, that's the gold. That's the brass ring. That's what I need in life. If I could only have this, this would make me happy. Can I tell you, if it's not the things that we described just a little while ago as far as righteousness of God, I'm telling you, it's all going to turn to ash. It won't last. And it definitely won't do at the end of the verse says be filled because that word filled there means satisfied. I think we all want to live a life where we're satisfied. Talking about hungering for things. I find it amazing in my house sometimes how borderline dead people are when they don't have physical food. Say, what do you mean? Here in just a little while, I'm going to hear some of these things. Daddy, I am starving to death. Some of you are thinking, Brother Phil. We are starving to death. Can you hurry this thing up? But you know how it's interesting. When you start getting that physical hunger, man, that moodiness comes, don't it? That grumpiness comes. And this is the time when you preach. You don't look at anybody. You just look up and look down. You know, you start what? You don't eat while you, you start shaking. You get hungry long enough, you get to be hangry. Anybody know what I mean when I say hangry? That's just a kind of a Christian polite way of saying hungry and angry at the same time. But you don't, feel, you don't really feel bad about it. You get hangry. You can't sleep. Man, you ever try to go to sleep hungry? Like, Lord, just let me go to sleep. I don't need to eat it. I know I don't need to do it. And you're just hungry. You can't sleep. You got a headache. You forget things. Hey, we'll even when we're hungry, we'll go out of our way to get food. Hey, I know I'm supposed to be back on the job, but man, I got to get me something to eat. I've got to get it now. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've had that same mentality towards righteousness? Towards the things of God? Man, it just... I got the shakes. I just, I've got to, I've got to live a life that's pleasing to God. I've got, I've got to show mercy where I need to show mercy. I've, I've got to, I've got to be meek. I've, I've got to mourn. I've got to be poor in spirit. I've got to hunger after the things of God and pick that book up and can't wait to get in church and can't wait to listen to somebody on the radio when they're teaching or preaching on things or can't wait to have the opportunity to share this with my family or pray with my family or read the Bible with my family. I can't wait to do those things. But I tell you, you let us get physically hungry, we'll do a lot of things. The fine food. Why is it we don't do that with the things of righteousness? We ain't hungry for that. We ain't hungry for that. 
you're going to walk out of this room and if you ain't got lunch, I already figured out. What do you want to eat? I don't care. What you want to eat? What you in the mood for? Oh, I don't know. Whatever you want. You want tacos? Nah. I want tacos. How about pizza? Nah, I had pizza last night. How about we go get some hamburgers? Well, I don't really want it. You really? No. Okay, let's say. You know what I mean? You're sometimes like, man, this is what I want. And I'm going to tell myself for a moment, but I won't be a help to every young person in here that is a guy that is married or going to get married one day. Let me help you with something here, a past experience. I remember when, when Rachel and I were expecting Maggie, and they talk about cravings and hungers, those things, and Rachel was excellent. She never had really any of that. But one day, she came up to me after work, and it had been a long day of doing stuff, and, and she says, you know, I, I, I really would like some CC's pizza. I don't know if you know what CC's is, like that buffet, you know, where you can just fill up more than you should, gluttony. Anyhow, you can do all that stuff. She goes, you know, I, I really would like some CC's. I said, I don't feel like CC's. I don't want that. She's like, I, I really would like some CC's. I'm like, yeah, I just, I'm tired. Let's, let's just make a sandwich. Let's just do something. Can I tell you young people something in this boat? If this ever happens, you get yourself up, you get your butt in the car, and you drive to CC's is what you do. Okay? That's what you need to do. She was very gracious. She didn't say anything about it. We, we ate a sandwich and sat at home. Did the sandwich fill? Yes. But what it was hungering for, thirsting for, no. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst after the opportunity to be merciful to somebody? Do you hunger and thirst after the opportunity to say, God, I'm just going to wait on you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm just hungering for that. See, so so many of us in life, and it comes to our Christian life, we never get out of being takers. We never move into the realm of givers. We stay takers our whole life. But hungering and wanting that. And can I tell you this morning, that true righteousness only comes from Christ. And, and I encourage you with this. Hold your place there in Matthew 5. But this is too good to miss, okay? So flip to 2 Corinthians, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And when I ask you, what are you hungering for? And, and, and the last way that you felt the way that you do about food here in a few moments. But you felt that way after righteousness. Because righteousness only comes from Christ. And it's a verse I know I've read before, but man, there's, some, there's something awesome here that I think we need to understand. That righteousness only comes from Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at the last verse, verse number 21. It's talking about God sacrificing Christ and giving his son. It says, for he hath made him, for God the Father hath made Christ, what? To be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Read that verse, you run through it, and you don't really think a whole lot about it. But if you really understand this verse and what this verse is teaching here, Paul is telling this church, he's saying, God allowed and, and Jesus humbled himself to what? I, when God saw me, what am I? I am sin. You might think you're perfect in here today, can I tell you? You ain't. Without Christ, when God looks at me, he sees sin. He does. Every single person. Without Christ, he sees sin. 
Jesus, he sees what? Righteousness. So God in his love, Jesus in his love for us, became me. He became you. He became sin. And not just to become sin, but look at the end of the verse. That we might be made what? Made righteous. If you're here today and you're saved, if you get nothing else, glory in the fact that you are or you were sin. But today in the eyes of God, because of Christ, you are the righteousness of God in him. You are righteous. You've been made righteous. And I read that and I can't get over that. I became righteous. You say, what does that mean? Hungry and thirsting. How do you connect to? Because I have become righteous. I should hunger and thirst to live righteously. I ought to try to live what I proclaim that I am. If I became righteous, now to live righteously. Can I tell you, by the way, you can't act like something that you haven't become. Can't act like something you haven't become. You say, Brother Phil, what do you mean? There's a lot of lost people today. A lot of people unsaved that are trying to be righteous and they're failing. You know why? Because according to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, they've never become righteous in Christ. They've never trusted Christ as their Savior. And we all know there's a lot of people trying to live a righteous life that don't know Christ. And it's the pharisaical mindset. It's all about what I do. But they fall short. Why? Because they have not been made the righteousness of God because of putting their faith and trust in Christ. And can I tell you this morning, and I always feel behooved to do this, especially on Sunday mornings. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you never can be righteous until you have a relationship with Christ. You can't. Until you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can try, but you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You can say, I want to do what's right. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better woman. I want to be a better teenager. You can be whatever I want to be. But you know what? You cannot be what you've not already become. Kind of like I can't be a great baseball player if I don't go out there and practice and work hard to become a great or a good baseball player. I can't be a good Christian if I'm not a Christian. I can live like a Christian should live, but it's going to fade. It's never going to fulfill. It's never going to satisfy until I give my heart and my life to Christ. And can I tell you, if you've been going to church longer than I've been alive, can I, or whether you've been to church just a few times, if you don't have a genuine relationship with Christ, don't worry about living righteously. Won't you talk to the one that became sin and allow him to save you and make you righteous? Let him do what you can't. Can I tell you what I'm doing right now doesn't make me righteous? Only Christ. My salvation. My salvation in him. As you turn back towards Matthew, I'd like to invite you, I know, for a moment here just to look in the book of John. Chapter number four. I wasn't going to say anything about this, but I just feel like the Lord wants me to mention this for a moment. In talking to you today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
and talking about, Lord, Phil, I, I do. I hunger after God. I want to. I want to know more about God. I want to. I want to. I want to do the things that are righteous. I want to do those things. That that's what I want to do. But I feel like I fail. But can I tell you? It's because you've got to have that relationship. John chapter number four is a great chapter. Which what Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. We won't read all the verses, but Jesus comes up to this well. It's Jacob's well, and he's sitting there and. His disciples go into town to buy meat. And here's this woman of Samaria. And the woman of Samaria comes. And Jesus says in verse 7, give me drink. And the Samaritan woman is very confused because Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles. So nobody liked them. They were the outcast of society. Not only did I mention in Jewish culture, a lot of men did not address a woman or a woman address a man in public that wasn't their spouse or family member. So Jesus is just breaking every culture barrier there is and talking to her. You know why? Because he loved her. And he wanted to offer his love to her. And he says here in verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, by the way, that shows you salvation is a gift, not works. And who it is that saith, Give me to drink. Thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Verse 11 of chapter 4 of John says, The woman saith unto her, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? And so she looks at him. Jesus is sitting there, and, and he speaks to her. He breaks that culture barrier. And he says, Hey, give me a drink. And she's amazed by that. And, and Jesus said, Actually, if you know who it was you're talking to, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she's like, Okay, wait a minute. I mean, what are you going to draw out of here? You, you don't have a pitcher. You don't have a, a bucket. You don't have anything to draw out of. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? And Jesus says in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drink of this water, talking of the water he would give, shall thirst again. And whosoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in, be in him a well of water springing up and to the everlasting life, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus says, you know what? If you draw out of this well of Jacob, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to have to come back. He said, but the water I'm talking of, you'll never have thirst again. And I love her response. Oh, give me that water. Jesus said, it's not just going to be a water that, that, that she quenches your thirst. It's going to quench your soul. It's going to give your soul rest. And he says, you know what? It's going to spring up inside of you. That living water, that peace that passes all understanding, that confidence, that guidance that comes through the Holy Spirit, that's that salvation that he's talking about. And she says, I want that. That's what I want. And Jesus goes on to talk to her a little bit more because she's still thinking about that. And she still doesn't recognize him as God. And, and, and Jesus looks at her and says, hey, he says, well, well, go and tell your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. And he tells her all kinds of things about her. He says, you're actually right. He said, you actually have five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now ain't your husband either. So, yeah, I know all about you. And she said, man, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet to know all this. And then she finally says, I know one day the, that we hear that the Messiah will come, and Messiah will come, and we'll worship him here. And it says in verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And look at verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this, his disciples came and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or 
Why talkest thou with her? In verse 28, after Jesus says, I am he, look what she does in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Here's what I want to tell you. If you're here today without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to live your life like this Samaritan woman. You're going to keep going to what you think is going to fill you, and it's never going to quench it. But when you come to Christ, and you put your faith and trust in Christ, and he saves you, you'll do exactly what she says. I have underlined in verse number 28 her response when she put her faith and trust in Christ. You know what she did? She left her water pot. You know what that means? The way I feel I need to live life, the way I feel I need to satisfy my life, the way I feel this is what I need to do to quench my thirst, to help me, to make me successful in life. What I didn't know what she did, she left it. Some of us today will never be filled with righteousness of God because we're not willing to leave whatever we think our water pot is. We all got our water pots. And by the way, it mentions it back in uh, Jeremiah. Those cisterns are another word for water pots. When you truly see Christ and who he is, you'll leave what you think will quench your life. And it'll make you go all out for Christ. Love what she says. She goes back and what does she say in verse 28? Come see a man. Is not this the Christ? You know a good example of somebody that hungers and thirsts after righteousness? They don't have a problem doing verse 29. They don't have a problem living a life and speaking a life that says, come see him. This is the Christ. This is worth leaving your water pot for. This is the one that will quench that thirst that you'll never thirst again. And I tell you, I know I took some time there. But if you're not saved, can I tell you, you're going to thirst and hunger for what only God can feel for the rest of your life. And you that are saved, and I'm that saved, I think sometimes we hang on to our water pots. And we don't act righteously. You know why? Because as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we looked at, we forgot what we have become. We became righteous and we forgot it. We're not living that way. So can I tell you, as we close this morning, Christian, when, when you're about to lie, when you're about to cuss, when you're about to have that wrong thought, when you're about to do that thing that you know is not pleasing to God, you need to remember something. That's not you. That's not what God has made you. That's not what God has called you to become. When you want to be vindictive, when you want to be bitter, when you want to lash out, when you want to lie, when you be covetous, when you want to be selfish, when you want to be all the things, and you remember something, that's not you. Because of Christ, you have become the righteousness of God. And that's what we should hunger and thirst after. That's what we should desire. Someone said this, that was pretty good. It says, you know what else hungering and thirsting after righteousness does? It runs the junk out of your life. You know what that means? It gives you the right perspective and priority. You ever feel like sometimes your priorities are off? Could be you're not hungry and thirsting after the right things. You know, a good indicator, I heard someone say, a good indicator that you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, a good indicator that you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness is when you complain about all that you have to do for God. I'll say that again because it's important enough to repeat. You want a good indicator that you're not hungry and thirsting after righteousness? By how much you complain that you have to do for God. Man, that's too much, Phil. Read my Bible. Pray. Be merciful to those. They don't deserve mercy. That's right. Neither did I. 
You mean don't forsake the assembling? Come on. You're asking too much. Serve? Sing in a choir? It's too much. No, it's not. You're just not hungry and thirsting after righteousness. I know that's not, that's not feel good, but it's true. When you live your life in a way that what you've got to do for God, you are not hungering and thirsting for righteousness of God. You're not. I'm not. And I love the end of that verse, the incredible assurance. For they shall be filled. You know what that means? If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, guess what? You will be satisfied. I ain't saying everything's the way you want it to be in life, but do you have a satisfied life? No, I don't. What are you hungering and searching for? What are you thirsting for? I love Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I say this with love. Some of you will never, ever feel the satisfaction of Christ in your life. Because you will never taste. Therefore, you'll never see. He's good. And he's more than that. What are you hungering for today? Let's stand together if you will.